Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, member C. Lyon shares his struggle to land a front office investment banking position, even coming from an Ivy League school. We cover his struggle with HR to transition to the Lev Finn team at a bulge bracket bank, why he eventually decided to lateral to a smaller bank, moving to Austin, Texas from New York, New York for an exciting private equity job, and why he's now able to hit pause and reassess his options. Stay tuned. C. Lyon, thank you so much for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Patrick. Yeah, no worries. If you could uh, just give the listeners a quick summary of your background, that'd be a great place to start. Sure. Um, so originally, I, I'm from Washington, D.C., grew up there, um, went to high school a couple blocks away from the United States Capitol building. Mm-hmm. Um, and really had no exposure to, to much of the financial wor- world um, growing up, but ended up in New York City for my undergrad. Uh, I went to Columbia, um, where I was on the, the varsity rowing team, as well as um, you know involved in a number of extracurricular activities. And I studied business management and Spanish, which was kind of an interesting combination. Um, mm-hmm. And... You know, being in New York City, um, being exposed to some of the older alums on the team uh, who were in the financial services industry, I started, you know, getting interested in, in the world of business also through, you know, my, my field of study um, and then had a, you know, a number of internships during my time in college. Um, and I spent a summer in, in Cairo at a think tank publishing research on Arab economies, hmm. um, which was, you know, super interesting experience for me. And then, uh, my junior summer I spent at BlackRock, uh, doing, you know, asset management work for a portfolio manager. Um, and then, you know, opting to not return there, um, just felt like I wanted to have a, you know, broader experience working directly with with corporations, um, you know, I, I wanted to get into investment banking, um, and I had, you know, somewhat of a, a long journey to get there. Um, so after graduating, which was now five years ago, uh, I started for a couple months at, at City in the uh, private bank, and um, you know, quickly felt like I I wanted to move into, um, you know, more more a corporate finance role. So I went into 
uh, corporate banking at City, um, and I was in the leverage finance portfolio group, which was, you know, under the broader Ledfin umbrella there. Uh, mm-hmm. So we worked a lot with the Ledfin group and the financial sponsors group, which were both part of the investment bank. But um, you know, we were doing a lot of ongoing uh, credit monitoring of of uh, you know outstanding loans City had to corporations, and yep. I learned a tremendous amount through through that, um, and you know continue to feel like I wanted to move into investment banking. So you, uh, so you still, sorry, sorry to interrupt you. So you still felt like, you know, you were doing, you basically did an asset management internship your junior summer, which is kind of considered the critical summer, right? To get the full-time offer. Um, and so you didn't want to go back to that. Is there a reason specifically you were thinking asset management? Was there an alum or somebody, like you said, on the crew team that kind of pushed you to do that? Or was it something where you just didn't know about banking? What, what caused kind of the shift at the, at the end? from junior to senior year, like where you're like, okay, I want to go banking suddenly. Yeah. Good question. Um, it, it was a combination of things, um, you know, from personal experience, um, it was, you know, looking at, uh, just how, you know, how much exposure portfolio managers got to actual companies and it wasn't really, you know, working with them. Um, but it was rather observing and, and more of a passive role. Um, and, and much more, you know, concerned with the, the state of the market. Mm-hmm. Um, I was more concerned. I, I was more interested in, you know, understanding what made a company profitable, how they grew, uh, more kind of strategic thinking at a corporate level. Um, mm-hmm. So that was sort of my own personal experience. And then I had, you know, a number of, uh, of teammates who were doing banking. And I heard, you know, through their experiences, what they enjoyed about their role and, and their internships. Um, so, you know, I started kind of getting, getting my own interest uh, that way and, and trying to, you know, get a, a better understanding of, of, you know, what a role like that would be. So even though you're at an Ivy league school, you're still, you know, the fact that you kind of made that decision kind of late, it sounds like made your path a little bit longer. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I certainly had to work really hard for it. Um, nothing, you know, nothing was handed to me. And so you kind of get you get the job in City, but you're in the the the, the private bank, or you're in the Levfin team. Is that right? And then, sorry, I interrupted yeah. you, so you can continue from there. Yeah. yeah so uh, it's it's been been a number of roles, um, but yeah, so I, I I started in the private bank. Um, there were, there were some issues that I won't get into with the HR department at City, where I actually had an offer from the Capital Markets Division, which is where the Lefin Group sits. Um, so it was kind of a, a mix-up on their end, partly, and then you know me just not really being that firm with what specifically I wanted to do, and more just concerned about getting an offer at a, a big, you know, brand-name bank like City. Is that tough when you? have an offer i guess you're saying they basically there's basically what this happens to a lot of people is they get an offer at a bulge bracket and then they're put into a group that is potentially not their number one choice is there any advice you have for listeners to help avoid that besides just having other options at other banks is is there is that kind of the best 
way to prevent that? Is is you have a better fallback, or is there other ways? Are there ways you can kind of preempt the or prime the process so that you land in a specific group? Yeah, I would say the biggest piece of advice I would have to myself back in in the situation I was in mm-hmm. as a senior in college, really desperate to get a job, um, was that you know I, I need to be my biggest advocate and. Uh, I need to really be thoughtful of what job I'm accepting and fully understand what that role will be like before I take the offer. Um, I, I think far too often folks may sign an offer letter without being totally sure they're going to do the job. And then if they get a better offer elsewhere, they'll, they'll move around. You know, reputation really matters mm-hmm. um, outside of college and, I, I kind of learned that the hard way, but, but yeah, you know, uh, HR departments are huge at, at large bulbs bracket banks. So you need to be very firm and, and thoughtful of the, the type of role you want. Um, so fully understanding what the, what the job will entail is extremely important before you. But you should, know, take should you be firm only when you have an offer? Is, it, is there like a p- potential for getting res- your offer rescinded if you're too firm? Like, I guess you probably want to do it delicately, right? Like firm, but yeah. carefully. <laughs> I, I think it's great. It's great to have uh, as many offers as you can get, right? Um, yeah. It's, it's, when, it's when you sign anything and commit to anything that um, you need to be firm with your decision. And, um, you know, until you, until you have a, an offer from a job you'd prefer to do, then you kind of need to respect whatever it is you have. Um, that just wasn't really my situation, but yeah, I, I think you need to be respectful of, you know, the hiring process and what your qualifications are, et cetera. Uh, certainly, you know, when you say your situation, yeah, I don't know if you're like comfortable sharing, but if, if you're, you're talking about your situation, meaning um, you didn't respect the offer you had, or you just felt like you didn't know, what was what the job truly entailed or what are you what are you suggesting there? yeah so i got um specific to my situation i got an offer from you know the the wealth management division the private bank first yep and then um you know i had follow-up interviews in the capital markets division and received an offer after i had sign my offer letter yeah so how do, how does that work so you'd already signed so it was a problem it became a problem with hr because the wealth management place were like you can't steal our guy right they're yeah. like no we already yeah. had him exactly. got it got it got it got it yeah and i think what what listeners you know and who are still uh in their undergrad programs need to understand is um you know these banks spend an enormous amount of resources on recruiting and each division or department is is kind of separate and they have their own, their own process, um, and their own HR team. So it's, it's not always as fluid as you might think it is, mm-hmm. um, just because it's the same, the Firm. same bank, same company right. doesn't necessarily mean it's the, you know, it's the same recruiting process. Good point. Okay. Sorry. You can continue. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I got that after years in city i um I, I kind of was unsure if i wanted to stay in banking or move into a buy side role which um you know seemed like the the greener pasture 
mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I felt like I, I hadn't spent as much time with, um, a lot of, uh, you know, corporate clients directly. Um, and, you know, specifically with, with smaller companies where you get a lot more exposure on deal teams. Um, so I, I opted to lateral to Piper Jaffrey, which is a small middle market boutique bank. Mm-hmm. And uh, I joined their, their leverage finance group in New York. Um, and I, I was an analyst there for two years. And that was really the, the experience I was looking for. Um, I was usually the only analyst on a deal. And sometimes, you know, the, the only person above me was a VP. Mm-hmm. So that, that bestowed an enormous amount of responsibility on deals and exposure to, um, you know, CFOs and, and management teams. So can, um, can we, can I stop you right there? Can we uh, rewind a little bit to talk about the actual lateral recruiting process coming from a bulge bracket to a middle market bank? I assume, um, were there certain recruiters you reached out to specifically? How did you even know where to look? And when you made that decision at City, was it just, it sounds like the decision was based on the type of deal experience you felt like you wanted to get more tangible experience and, and be working on, kind of get, be given more responsibility. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, can you talk a little bit about the, just, so you, you made that decision you're saying, okay, I'm going to reset again and start my analyst stint again, or, or how did that work? Or how do you even manage that? So Piper Jaffrey was pretty flexible with, you know, what analyst level I came in at. They, you know, during my recruiting process, they, they knew the skills that I had and mm-hmm. um, were comfortable bringing me in as a, as a second or a third year analyst. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to give myself a little bit more runway for buy side recruiting. Okay. Event. I chose to go down that path. So I opted to redo my, um, my second year analyst position. Okay. Yep. So I just completed my second year at city, mm-hmm. um, went into Piper, uh, as a second year. And then re- rewinding that, I, my, my recruiting process with them was actually pretty, straightforward um i found the job on linkedin mm-hmm. and applied got a got a response from the hr department and then you know went through a series of interviews with the team mm-hmm. but um yeah you know linkedin is actually a really great resource for for finding lateral positions very cool and then specifically about the um the differences you felt immediately going from city the type of life and deals you're doing there to Piper, I'd love to hear just a little bit of a comparison of, the, of kind of the responsibilities for a second-year analyst, since you really got to see from both sides. I think it's pretty unique. Yeah, and, and it certainly was a big shift um, at City. It was, you know, we we had processes and and roles that were not that flexible. Um, you know, your your role as a first-year or second-year analyst at a bulls bracket bank is. Um, is pretty set and uh, you know deal teams are typically more robust there's they're larger deals and you know larger management teams mm-hmm. um, and more people involved in the process so the teams were a lot larger um, versus Piper uh, was you know the the sizes of the deals were smaller 
Um, and the team was actually fairly new. Uh, they were building out their lead spin practice in, in New York. Um, and so when I joined, the, the team was only, I think it was eight people mm-hmm. on the desk. Yep. And I left, uh, you know, after my two years there, it was, it was, I think north of 20. So it was, it was growing. Um, but when I, when I started, you know, there weren't a lot of model templates that we used or, mm-hmm. um, or, or pitch materials. It was a lot of that, you know, we had to come up with on our own and, and create as we went along. Um, so was the transition was, tough, like being, being given the additional responsibility and having to kind of going from the bulge bracket structured, you know, processes where every template and everything is kind of created for you to more of an entrepreneurial kind of, uh, environment where it's kind of just figuring it out as you go. Was it, was that a tough transition for you or was it something that you were kind of welcomed? I think at first it was a little strange, mm-hmm. um, but, but I ended up really, you know, quickly realizing that I was learning a lot more mm-hmm. and I was a lot more engaged and felt like with the added autonomy, um, I had a lot more riding on me um, because, you know, I, I might produce something that would go straight to managing director as opposed to going through, you know, an associate and then a VP and then a director <laughs> right. and then the managing director and then the company. You know, I got to a point now in, uh, in my experience at Piper where you know, I might produce an analysis that would go straight to the CFO. Um, right. And, you know, potentially the managing director looks at it, maybe not in certain situations. So, yeah, there was a lot more riding on the line, but I ended up getting really much more engaged um, with it. Cool. So it sounds like it was a good transition for you. And so then what happened after that? You had said you wanted a little bit of a runway to, for, for buy-side recruiting. It sounded like you went ahead and started that, what, after your second, after your first year at Piper? Is that correct? Or was it kind of right away? Yeah, I, I think at first I was kind of uh, I was learning as I went along, drinking from a, from a fire hose. Yep. Um, and then... You know, once I kind of started getting more reps under my belt, I started thinking a little bit longer term. Um, and I think that that happened you know, like three quarters of the way through my first year mm-hmm. there. Um, and I, I officially started recruiting in my second year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's when that's when I kind of, you know, the, the timeline of when I started thinking about five-step recruiting. Got it. And was that in the typical kind of rush with the mega funds and the upper middle markets that, you know, is earlier and earlier every year, or was it more of an unstructured, okay, I'm just going to start talking to recruiters and gradually just taking interviews yeah. as they come. Yeah. My situation was a little bit more unique. So I, I kind of, I felt like I sort of missed that official recruiting window. Mm-hmm. Um, and with, with my background being more in the less thin space, uh, we're, my group is working directly with a lot of credit funds. Mm-hmm. Um, so not, you know, traditional private equity firms. Um, so they, they tended to follow a different recruiting path. It was more kind of unstructured, but, yeah. uh, you know, I, I started reaching out to recruiters and a few of them reached out to me. I also used go buy side, um, and, and LinkedIn, I was using all of the resources at my disposal. Um, and then, you know, ultimately I, I found the, the job that I ended up in 
through our internal team, the, the financial sponsors group, um, had a relationship with the firm that I, I got an offer from, um, and they sent around uh, a message to all the analysts in my class, letting us know that there's an opening there. And um, I kind of jumped on that because, uh, you know, for, for a whole host of reasons, but yeah, that's, I can go into those. That's yeah. interesting. So it was actually, they were, they were supportive of someone from their, from the team in the love fan group, jumping and leaving and going to the, to this fund. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, that's great. Yeah. It, it, it shocked me a little bit. Um, Maybe they wanted to keep the fun happy. I was, yeah. Oh, I was a top bucket analyst. You know, I, I, I was performing really well there and, um, I I was enjoying the work I was doing. Um, -hmm. and I felt like I had really good relationships with everyone on the team. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, they probably came as a bit of a surprise to them that I was thinking about leaving. Mm -hmm. But immediately, you know, when I met with, with the head of our group and, and told them about, you know, what I was thinking about doing for, you know, post analyst programs, he was extremely supportive immediately. And everyone on the team was, um, and even though Piper loves to mentor its, its junior bankers and really hire and promote from within, mm-hmm. um, they were, they were just tremendously supportive. Well, that's great to hear. Yeah. It was, it was tough for me coming out of Rothschild. It was, um, a little bit more of like you weren't supposed to be recruiting and, um, then once I did get an offer, it was tough because I think, you know, they wanted to retain and hold on to their analysts. Um, yeah. so it was a little yeah. bit uncomfortable, but, you know, understandably, you know, you actually get so much more efficient in that second year, um, for them to hang on to those second and third year analysts. And at that point they weren't doing like direct promotes or anything back in the day. <laughs> so yeah, question, <laughs> was, was yeah. there any attempt to kind of hold on to you, give you kind of a, a additional bonus or retention bonus or anything? It was more just like, Hey, yeah, go ahead. You, this is, this is your plan. And that was that. Yeah. And you know, you, the point you mentioned is a good one too. Um, I think it's important for, for anyone thinking about buy side recruiting, if they're, you know, currently in investment banking that, uh, these banks and you know the program that you're in they've spent a lot of resources time and money to develop you train you and you know once you're armed and and finally dangerous you're thinking about leaving that that can be viewed the wrong way sometimes and so you have to be very you know what what i learned is you have to be very careful about how you go about you know recruiting And, and for me it was always just being more open about it and Mm -hmm. you know i felt like over communication was was better than really not communicating at all um but i because yeah i've heard heard horror stories of people yeah because i've heard horror stories of people like you know yeah being open and then they're like showing the door you know what i mean before they even have an offer so i think you really need to talk to people who've been in that situation before maybe talk to people who've made that jump successfully try to get them on the phone and ask how they did it um yeah, because you'll get yeah, a sense. I, I think consulting, you know, people who are in in your group in the past and and are now in a role that you want, those are probably the first people you should be reaching out to to try and figure out the best way to go. Yeah, then you can know if the if the VP or the MD gets really angry about it or if they're really supportive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. Okay, so um, it sounds like for you, it was 
did you, it sounds like you did some, uh, some of the structured things like going on to different platforms and, um, you know, and talking to potentially some recruiters, but it sounds like, you know, the job really came from within, from your own group almost. So from one of their clients. So that's, yeah. that's impressive. Yeah. So, the, yeah. So I'd love to hear them. At, at yep. um, you know, they, they're the ones that kind of, um, made me aware of the fun that I ended up at and, um, so they, how, how was that process? The actual, the how was that process? The actual like interview process? Were you given any modeling tests, anything, any cases, or it was all more like fit based. And like, once you had the endorsement from your MD, it was like pretty easy or, or was it pretty competitive still? Um, it, it had little, so once I kind of, you know, learned that there's an opening, um, it really had nothing to do with Piper at that point. Mm -hmm. And, um, and initially it was a round of, of phone calls um, with the VP at the fund and, and one of the partners. And, um, and then after that, I, uh, I had a case study that I, that I did that involved an LBO model and um, an investment committee memo. And, uh, and then, you know, after that, I, I went down for a super day and met with the entire team. Um, and I was at the time looking to leave New York City. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd been in New York for eight years at that point and yeah, it's a was long really time. looking for a, a change of, of scenery. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, and so that this fund is located in Austin. Um, and so I flew down to Austin and, and met with the entire team there. And even after that, I thought I was, you know, I thought the meeting could on, had gone really well. I was really excited about the opportunity, felt like I knew kind of, what my role would be, but I still had, I think about a month or two before I got an official offer letter. Um, so I, you know, there's a, a, uh, akin to an IQ test. It wasn't really like that, but it's sort of the personality and general IQ type test that they did. Mm -hmm. Um, and then their, their references. So there, there's a number of things that um, some private equity funds will will do even after you've had a super day uh, to just further vet you because this is this is typically um, a pretty big hire, yep. Especially for you know smaller funds, so they don't you know they don't take these decisions very lightly. Can you tell me a little bit about the the case specifically? Was that before they brought you in for the super day, and did they give you like a time limit for it in terms of like you got to get this back to us in twenty four hours? How much guidance was there around the case, or was it like very open ended? Yeah, um, and, and so to preface that, I, I'd been recruiting for a few months, so I I had already been doing a number of in person and take home modeling tests and, and cases. Um, so everyone each fund has its own, you know, own way of administering some kind of test that test, you know, your ability to analyze a business and, and model. But this, this one specifically was, you know, given I was in New York and there in Austin, um, it was a take home case. And so I, I was given a, um, uh, a book, um, and a, uh, I don't think there was a template. There was, it was actually blank, blank Excel, and I had to build a, an LBO model and and um, and write out a, an investment committee memo based on the um, 
based on the book that they sent me on on a business that they were looking at. Okay. And so you had what, 24 hours to turn that around or a few hours? I, I think, yeah, it was either one, one or two days. Okay. Um, it, it didn't feel that rough, but at the same time, you know, balancing my, my investment banking job with recruiting wasn't easy. It didn't feel like I had too much time, but yeah. What were your uh, hours like at, at Piper and, and then at okay. city and stuff? I've heard there's pretty long, but both, both firms have a, a reputation, I think for being somewhat longer hours. Is that the case for, for the love fin team? Yeah. Um, at city it was, uh, I, I think initially it was pretty tough, um, hours wise, just given I was so much slower and less efficient. Yep. Um, you know, coming out of uh, liberal arts education, I, I barely even touched Excel. Sound like me. So learning, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so just learning the basics of, you know, Microsoft office program, word, Excel, PowerPoint, mm-hmm. that, that took a bit, um, getting all the, the shortcut keys down. Um, so I've been on a Mac laptop for four years in college. So I, I think acclimating to all of that and, and in addition to, you know, actually doing pretty time consuming work, uh, you know, was, wasn't easy. And so I was, I was working pretty long hours at first. Um, and then like over 90, over a hundred. Um, yeah, it, probably on average, you know, somewhere between 80 and a hundred. Uh, okay. just depending on the week and, and, you know, deal flow. Yep. Okay. So, and then Piper was, you're probably a lot more efficient by the time you got there, but still you were yeah. learning. Yeah. Yeah. You know, with Piper, it was kind of, um, it, it was partly, I, I was much more efficient and they're, they're really focused on, um, you know, having a sort of balance between working too much and, and making sure, um, you know, analysts are being effective. So there's, there's a pretty decent work-life balance focus that said, hmm. you know, I, I was pretty self-motivated um, and we were doing a lot of deals at the time. Yep. So I was fairly involved um, and, and, you know, my hours didn't really change too much between the two firms, but I definitely felt like I was much better supported at Piper. So yeah, it'd be great if you could just dive in a little bit more on the specific recruiting process. So you you had eventually an offer came through after you were talking about some sort of IQ test, you said, or personality test. Was is there a name for that that the listeners could look up, or is there is it just a person? Was it something kind of custom? You think from the fund? Um, so I know you know we were using this this platform for hiring in some of our portfolio companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've heard through, um, you know, friends who are in the private equity industry that some of them had to do similar tests. I don't think it's industry standard, mm-hmm. so it, it depends on, you know, the firm and, um, I'd be curious, I'd be curious to so, yeah, see some of those. I'd, I'd love to share some of those just because, um, is it something where it's a firm that, that administers it like a third party firm or is it, uh, um, yeah, it is. Do I know that? Do I have it a, heard a it? it? was a you know software company that they they specialize in HR. Got it. Service software. So cool. that it was a yeah, it was a third party service. Okay, very cool. And so um, great. Yeah, tell me a little bit more about the the transition then. So was it a tough transition going from banking to private equity? 
I know my transition was was very difficult um, in terms of having so much going on all day, every day with like being told what to do, where you could go <laughs> to, to almost no structure, going to a small fund initially. Um, was it similar to you, for you? Yeah, I think more than anything, it was just a culture shock. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Austin is, is a, a growing city and becoming a bigger market, less so for finance, but um, there's a lot of, of software and, and venture capital. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I, I've been in New York for eight years and been at large banks. And I, I think there's just this aura of energy in New York where everyone's just really hustling. And there's a big shift in, in pace um, when I moved to Austin. Um, so it, it was it was definitely challenging just kind of getting up to speed um, within that new environment that was so unfamiliar to me. But then there's certainly, you know, things that I had to, to, to learn, um, and, and retrain myself on the job. Um, and, you know, I, I think more than anything, just get used to working with, um, four other people as opposed to, um, you know, <laughs> having large steel teams and constantly being surrounded by a lot of other coworkers. You think um, it was lonely? I mean, I kind of I, I thought I was pretty lonely <laughs> when I when I went to PE. It was kind of like you're there and you have your colleagues, but it's there's not that bullpen feel. I guess that's what I felt. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I, I because I I had a lab, I had a leverage finance background, mm-hmm. and you know, the last you know, at Piper Jaffray, we were on a really big trading desk, so there was a little privacy, a lot of noise, a lot of phone calls. Yeah, this was more kind of a library type setting where you, know, you work very independently and um, things were done, you know, in an office with your door closed, um, less, less kind of noise and, and more, you know, um, independent work. Given how small the deal team was, were you guys like interacting on a daily basis? Was it like, uh, you know, you mentioned you were kind of doing a lot of work on your own, like review, you're like reviewing Sims and stuff, reviewing different businesses. Was that what the majority of your work was? Could you tell me just a little bit about kind of like your normal week or normal day? That'd be great. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, my, my role there was, um, I was an investment associate, um, the investment team. I was the, the fifth employee there. So mm-hmm. number five on the investment team. And it was, there, um, there's myself and, and another associate, um, and we were doing the majority of the deal sourcing as well as uh, deal execution and then any kind of portfolio company work. Um, so it was a fairly even balance of the three, and it kind of all just depended on the, the week, uh, whether, you know, one was more, you know, consuming more of our time versus the other. But I, I would say, you know, looking back, it was a fair, fairly even distribution. Um, in so, terms of you know, in terms of what, like deal sourcing being a third, um, portfolio work being a third, and then execution being a third of actually doing the deals? Correct. Or what's that? Yeah. That's yeah. correct? Okay, so it was, got it. It was, mm-hmm. it was a fairly even distribution. Okay, that's fair. 
And so the sourcing, was that something that was unexpected or did you feel like like that being such a big chunk of your day, is that something kind of you knew going in or like, I know there's a little bit of a, there's, there's a couple of well-known funds out there, like a summit and a TA that are that kind of have this is, is pretty standard for the associates to come in and do that. Is that kind of the model we should be thinking of, of kind of what you, you were thrown into, or is it more of a, I guess it, it sounds a little bit more like a mixed bag, but um, like if you had sourced yeah. the deal, you would be able to work on it and stuff like that, I assume. But, you know, I'd love to just hear yeah. a little bit more about that. Yeah, I, I think going into the role, I knew it was going to be a lot less structured than I had been used to. That was, you know, the team certainly communicated mm-hmm. that with me. Um, and I knew sourcing would be a component of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think what really got me excited about this this particular uh, opportunity was um, just having the autonomy to, to decide what I, you know, really wanted to focus on and spend time with. And um, over time that sort of developed into sourcing, but initially, you know, I, I kind of went in with the expectation of, of trying everything and, and trying to get exposed and, and be a sponge with all, all facets of the role. Yeah. Um, was there money available to invest when you got there or were they fun middle of fundraising? Like was there actually dry powder or? Yeah, it, it, it was kind of a unique fund structure. Um, so, it, uh, we had a, a fairly large commitment from a family office mm-hmm. in Dallas Yep, and that was the primary capital source, but there was, there was no official fund structure, Got it. um, which was kind of interesting for the, you know, the dynamics of of managing our investments. Um, it was more on a deal by deal basis as opposed to thinking of it as a, you know, total fund. LPGP. Yeah. LPGP type thing. Yep. Correct. Yep. Got it. Okay. And then, so, sorry, continue. So you were, you were saying something about specifically the, the role, how they had given you a heads up that it was unstructured. Was that still a tough turn? I assume that was still kind of a tough transition because you're kind of going in there and you're in your office alone, you're looking through these sims and all of a sudden like the reality hits you. You're in Austin, you're not in the you're not in the hustle and bustle of New York City anymore. Sure. Talk to me about just yeah. your transition down to Austin. Like that's gotta be I'd love to learn or hear about Austin as well, and just the differences. Yeah. Like yeah. That was it was really exciting. Um I'd never <laughs> I'd never even lived alone before. Okay. Um, so I moved there, got a one bedroom apartment that I could afford. <laughs> Baller. Um, <laughs> Living on your own, growing yeah. up, growing up yeah. in the world. Uh, there was no, you know, there was no thirty dollars seamless allocation at the end of the night for dinner, um, and there was no Uber home. So I, I bought a car. I was commuting to work in a car. Uh, these were all really now, like looking back, pretty basic standard things. But mm-hmm. being an investment banking analyst in New York City, certainly not not the case. So the lifestyle change was, was totally different. Um, and that took me getting used to. What um, about like the scene but, down there, like yeah, friends and stuff? Did you have any friends? Did you, did you have to go make friends going to a new city completely? Like, how did you do that? Yeah, that, that's a good question. Um, I, I didn't really have any close friends. Mm-hmm. I, I knew loosely of a few people that had moved there. Um, some, you know, some fellow Columbia alums that were there but i didn't i didn't really have any close friends and and no family um so i had no ties with 
with Texas. And uh, that was kind of the, the point, though, for, for me. I, I really wanted to experience something completely different where I just didn't really have any roots mm-hmm. and, you know, have to put myself out there to meet people and, and find commonality amongst folks that I'd never met before. How did you do that? Just going out, you know, meetups, stuff like that? Or how did, how did you even kind of build your social network out there? Yeah, it was, uh, it was, because it, it's a fun, it has a, it has a reputation to be a really fun city, right? I mean, um, yeah, yeah. So. Um, so Austin is, is, it's a really transient city. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of, of 20 year olds moving there, some directly from, from college. And then you, you have a lot of people moving from larger cities because of the cost of living and a, a really growing, rapidly growing tech community. Mm-hmm. Um, I know when I was there, Apple announced, you know, they were, they were adding, I think like 15,000 jobs, um, redoing part of their campus. So all these tech companies, uh, Google was another one. They're, you know, constantly just adding floors. Um, they have an <laughs> entire building for, for their office there. So there's a big tech presence. Um, and so you've got a lot of young professionals moving there and, um, I actually, because I was a, a rower in college, I, I still continue to work out every day and, um, joining a gym was a big part of my routine there. I'd never, um, I'd never done bouldering. Um, and there's a really great bouldering gym in Austin that I joined and that's actually how I met a lot of, uh, a lot of my friends that I made there. Oh, cool. What's bouldering? Totally. It's, uh, it's like rock climbing okay. but without the rope. <laughs> okay, so you're just basically risking yeah. your life going up these rocks. Yeah, well, like, you're, you're, you're not like free solo. It's not like free solo. Really, oh, yeah, I think I've seen that. Really yeah, I should so. know that. I've seen that here up in California. <laughs> I, I, I've seen that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. Really great workout, though. I had no idea, but it's um, for sure. It's both really fun and and really good for you, and a great way to meet people. Turns out. For sure. For sure. That sounds fun. All right. So it sounds like you acclimated pretty well. And then kind of what's, what's next for you? What's the, what's the plan or is there no plan? Yeah. So, um, I, I left, um, my fund, uh, about a month and a half ago now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think I, I really just wanted to hit pause on what was starting to be, you know, very kind of traditional, trajectory from for a finance career mm-hmm. um i kind of you know started um being a little unsure if i wanted to do private equity long term and um even finance in general um and so i'm still kind of going through a transition phase but for right now i'm i'm vigorously studying for the gmat yeah. and i've uh i've picked up rowing again so i'm looking to do that competitively Oh, very cool. That's fun. And then it sounds like you have some travels coming up as well based on the, the chat yeah, we had earlier. Yeah, so that'll be one fun. Of the, one of the great parts of having worked in finance for five years and having some added time on your hands is, is the ability to travel and, and, you know, be able to afford um, taking some time off. And I think that's always been a, a part of me is you know, I wanted to do that for a while. And um, yeah, enjoy it, man. You earned it. You earned it. For sure. Yeah. 
yeah. Do you mind do you mind sharing with the even just a range of pay, you know, coming from city first year, second year, all the way through? Do you mind giving like a sort of all in comp range for for those roles so people can kind of get a framework of of kind of what you were able to um, earn throughout those five years? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Happy to give a range, Mm -hmm. you know, with what I found with both, um, you know, bulge bracket and middle market banks is the range was fairly similar. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I, I, I performed fairly well for in in both of those programs. So I think I was on the higher end of of the total comp range. Um, But it was, it was anywhere between 130 and, um, and 180. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a big um, pay bump in base salary after my second year at City, okay. and I think that was across all the banks. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that that really raised a lot higher than where it had been. Yeah. Um, and you know, I'm not I'm not too up to speed on what it is currently, but um, but yeah, that that was. I think it's you know, 90 now for 180. I think it's range. like 90 coming in right up for fresh undergrads, 85 or 90. Um, Crazy. Yeah. Every yeah. year it's like, <laughs> every year. maybe it's 85. So I, I don't want to, I don't want to give uh, misinformation yeah. or false information out there, but yeah. So, um, okay. And then when you jump to the PE, it was similar or a little bit of a boost there. You know, obviously much lower cost of living city, small fund. Um, yeah. Um, you know, I, I kind of expected that going in. Yep. Austin is a much smaller market. Um, the, the fund was a lot smaller. So, you know, we, there's, there's some equity upside. So there's, there's ways to kind of structure it. If, if there's no, you know, if there's no certainty on, on one end due to the size and, and situation of, of the fund, you, mm-hmm. you can actually have quite a bit of deviation in, in terms of what's market for private equity. Right. Um, so it's a little bit less structured on the comp side. Yeah. For really small funds, you could be paid as low, you know, lower than you were paid as a first year analyst at a bank uh, right. on cash right. comp. And then just, but just yep. maybe have the ability to co-invest or even in some rare cases get uh, as a pre-MBA, get some carry. But um, exactly. Typically yeah. you and wouldn't put I a lot of value on that carry, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. One thing you know you should also consider is um, is just ability to to move and get promoted. Um, and you know if you're at a smaller fund and you're, you're doing really well and the fund is growing, you, you've gotten in there. You know the fund I joined had only been around for seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know there's there's quite a a runway to to you know get promoted and, and move up. There was a lot of that, up, there was a lot of upside. Yeah, there's a lot of upside yeah. there. If it, if it had worked out and you wanted to stay there long term, and you were like, "Hey, I, this is what I want to be want to do for my career," there potentially could have been, um, you know, huge financial rewards. At least, um, maybe not. Exactly. You know, maybe yeah. maybe you wouldn't be the happiest yeah. person if it wasn't what you wanted to do long term. But financially, it would have been potentially a good a good fit. Okay. Well, right. this has been really helpful. Anything else you want to share with the listeners before we kind of call the pod? I know it's gone way over what I initially told you. So I appreciate you spending that extra time. <laughs> no, I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed the conversation. Yeah. I think, they'll, um, I think they'll yeah. like it. So anything else you want to share? I think, the, I think the, the last piece of advice I would leave with listeners, particularly, you know, if you're still in early innings, either interning or just getting started with your career in finance is that, um, you know, you can, if, if there's a role that you really want, um, you can work to develop the skill set and meet 
of people through networking that you would need to meet to get the job you want. Um, and you also need to be really willing to be dynamic. And, you know, there's just certain things that are out of your control um, that if, if you take kind of your, your situation a little bit too seriously and, and you're not, you know, if, if you're too rigid, you're going to run into issues where you're, you end up unhappy and, and feel like you can't move out of it. Um, you know, the finance industry is huge and, and within a lot of banks and, and private equity funds and, and buy side funds, um, there's a lot of different roles and, um, you know, staying patient, learning a valuable skill set, and really just being a great team player go a long way over the course of your career. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think that's, that's what I would really urge listeners to, to keep in mind as, as they embark on their career path. That's great. Well, C-Line, thank you so much for joining us and uh, let's stay in touch. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. Until next time.